Our children are dismissed to Kids Dome right now, so all of our children to Kids Dome, you can go. Praise the name of Jesus. And if you do not have an outline, could you just raise your hand really quickly? We want to make sure everybody gets an outline. We have the opportunity and the privilege to share in our Connect Life groups. Those are our small groups that meet throughout the week. And so you have these outlines that you're able to take notes during the preaching. And then not only do you take notes during the preaching, but you are also able to discuss the sermon and what you heard so we can not just be convicted or challenged by the Word of God, but that we can be held accountable to live out the truths that we're learning. Amen. Keep those hands up and make sure the ushers will get you that outline really quickly. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And as we do that, this morning we have a special guest that is with us today, and um, it is um, it, it, it is a, an honor. I met this brother a few uh, last year. I met him at Canterbury Retreat Center, and um, he came out. He's written, uh, I think he's written a couple of books. Correct, Dave? He's written a couple of books. Sadly, I have to repent before you. I have not read them, but but um, the Bible says that you know the Spirit bears witness, right? And when I heard him, I'm going to share with you something that he communicated in a moment. But there is something that has always been on my heart. And I've, you know, grown in this. And we've grown as a church in this. And the understanding that there is one mission that the church has. And that is to make disciples. And it is to be the disciples of Jesus. And not everybody gets that. You know, a lot of people have different visions, different missions. And they don't realize that God has this mission. And he asks us to join him in it, right? He asks us to participate in this mission. And, and Brother Dave gets this. And a couple of years ago or last year when I when I met him for the first time in person he was sharing and he's talking about making disciples and he was going to be at Canterbury doing a retreat there and they, he, he, he answered this question and it resonated in my heart and he said how do you know who it is that you are supposed to spend your time with investing in their lives and he said it is the person who's in, in whose ears your words matter the most and when he said that, that just resonated in my heart because, you know, you I don't know about you, but I want to disciple the world, but not everybody wants to be discipled. Amen, somebody? Not everybody cares, you know. Some people are like, okay, Bishop, hurry up and finish. You know, like they don't care. Other people, you know, are, and you don't have to tell me this, what I'm about to say, but other people are like, Bishop, you know, you could preach a little longer. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm just, listen, I know, I know we all got our time clocks. I'm, I'm not saying that that determines who I'm going to spend time with. What I'm saying is there are some people in your life that they just want to hear the God that's in you. They want to hear the truth from you. And those are people who God has, you know, aligned for you to speak into their lives. There's other people that they're not so concerned, and it's okay. Not everybody has to be concerned because if everybody was concerned, you wouldn't have enough time to disciple them anyway. Amen? So I want you to put your hands together for Brother Dave Buring as he comes forward today to share the word of the Lord with us. Thanks, man. My privilege. Good morning. You can have a seat. Are we good this morning? So before I, uh, before I jump into the, the word that I want to share with you, I, um, just as we were worshiping, you know, I, I, I love, was that last song not just, I mean, it's like, there's just some songs at some moments, it's like, I think Jesus just walked in the room. Yeah? Isn't that right? It's like, so I want you to think about this, you know, in heaven, um, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that all the time there are angels saying, holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I just want you to think about that with me. When years ago, you know, you just kind of, I don't know, I, I just thought it must have been the naughty angels, you know, that just like, okay, I've had enough of you. You go over there and for all eternity, this is all you can say. Holy, holy, repeat after me, holy, you know, and, and he's got, and, and so that whole life, these angels, you know, we screwed up. This is all we're doing now for the rest of eternity. Holy, holy, holy. It's not like that. I mean, do you understand that the reality of this is, because holy means set apart, like you're so other, you're so awesome. So do you understand what's happening is the angels are worshiping, like just kind of like right now, like right now. And this isn't, this isn't like just later when we're there. This is like right now, this is going on. But here's what's happening. There's not some naughty angels over here who have assigned declarations. But what's happening is the angels are going about their day in heaven. God reveals something new of his character. And they go, holy, holy, holy. And it's live. It's happening now. And God's revealing something like they've never seen about him before. And their only response is, holy, holy moly. You know, and, they're, and, 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 it, and it's live. This is not just something that is going to be happening when we get there. This is happening now. And the angels who have been with him for all time and eternity still are blown away when God says, you've seen my mercy before, I want to show you this. <gasps> worthy. They look for each other so they can have a little chorus. And, worthy, worthy, <laughs> worthy. Guys, we got to understand, that's going on now. And now. And tomorrow. And so when crap hits the fan, and you need to step back, you can simply say, I'm going to join in right now. Holy, holy, holy. If that doesn't get you in God's presence quick, nothing will. To realize that you can link arms with God all right, you can stand with what's going on in heaven and declare the name of Jesus. So the angels respond to that because they keep, they keep being blown away at what they're seeing. And that's all they can say is you're so awesome, you're so set apart. So when we get to heaven, part of worship, you know, in these days of our lives is getting us ready for there, right? Because it's going to be one worship celebration. Can you imagine? I mean... I don't know how it's going to work if God's going to say, okay, I'm going to take the best. You know, I live in Nashville, so, you know, it's just like artist central, you know. And so it's not unusual when you come to church at any church in Nashville. And, you know, hey, how are you, Don? I was fine. How are you? Where were you? Oh, I was backing up so-and-so last night in New York, got the red eye. Got, you know, it's just, it's like the music is, you know. And thank you for your worship this morning. Thank you for your music this morning. It, it uh, encouraged me to worship God. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. So Jesus, today, you know, my heart is not just to stand up here and talk. You know, my heart, Lord, today is to allow you to leave a deposit. Lord, in our hearts and in the heart of this church, thank you for Pastor Jason and all that's going on in his heart and life and the, the group of people that give leadership here. Lord, we, we recognize the days and times we're living in. It's not time to dink around. It's not time to just get caught in stuff of the world and let the kingdom kind of coast by us. But it really is time to seek first the kingdom. So Jesus, as we come before you today, we're asking, would you make a mark 
And if that's, if that's your heart today, just amen that with me. Lord, make a mark in me. Let me see what it is that you want me to see today. And you know, when truth comes, it gets dangerous, doesn't it? So are you ready? You ready to let Jesus reveal? And are you ready to be responsive? I, I love this little expression here. Truth requires a response. So by the end today, there will be a response that will be required of you because you've been before God in truth. Jesus, we want to make a difference here in Oviedo. We want to make a difference in Central Florida and in our state. Lord, we recognize it in the nations of the earth today. I think of my pastor friend who just got home this week from being in the Middle East with the Bishop of Baghdad and watching, watching followers of Jesus having to flee their homes, watching followers of Jesus see their mothers and fathers killed right in front of them. Lord, we, we, don't, we don't want to be these American Christians that are wishy-washy. We want to be men and women of God that know how to stand. So Jesus, would you do something today that only you can do? If you agree with that, would you say amen? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our pastor met a church in Nashville, and um, I'm there part-time. It's a, it's a big church, and I help with our guys when our pastor's gone off and pinch hit in the pulpit. And he has spent the last little bit of time in, in Baghdad, in Iraq, and in Israel, in the Middle East. And we had a, a man who's known as the Bishop of Baghdad, um, come and be with us uh, two times in the last six months. And th this is kind of preamble here before I get into where I want to go, but, but why we need to be focusing on the things we're going to be focusing on today. And he, he shared with us as a, as a flock. We had him one night kind of sitting in just a you know, comfortable chair, and him and our pastor were dialoguing, and he said, do you know, um, he said it's the realities of what we have to face. Um, he said they're like this. He said there was a, ISIS came to the door of a home and the father was there along with the children and they, it was a Christian family. And um, he said the ISIS came and they put their, you know, imagine this, put their weapons right to the head of the children. And they looked in the eyes of this dad and they said, you need to renounce your Jesus and follow our way or your kids will die right now. And he called the Bishop of Baghdad the next day or that afternoon, I don't remember, but, and he just said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. He said, if it was me, no problem. This is my kids. You guys, we all think it's the big story of he stood there in the name of Jesus. That's reality. And he said, he said, Bishop, I wasn't trying to deny Jesus. I was just trying to protect my kids. That's something we know nothing of, right? And then he said they went to another home, put the guns to the children's heads, and told them to deny Jesus. And they said, why would we ever do that? We love him. And they all went to heaven right there. We, we have to realize that we're living in a time that is unprecedented. And it's because of our media coverage. We're seeing things happen in parts of the world that were, you know, move us deeply. And when he shared that story with us, we, we, we I mean, myself included, we just, Cheryl and I and our family and others, we just sat and thought about that for a long, long time. And I believe 
that God wants to do a work in ISIS. Do you have them on your prayer list? This is, this is not any different than the Apostle Paul. If you, if you talk to the Christians in Iraq, they'll say, oh, no, no, this is no different as the persecution of Christians. And if you don't have the leaders of ISIS on your prayer list, can I encourage you to get them there? Because people prayed for a man named Saul, and he came to know Jesus. Would that not be something for the world to see when ISIS lays down their weapons and renounce what they've done and repent and give their lives to Jesus? That ain't going to happen unless we pray. We're living in a world where our thoughts and emotions can get the best of us and our opinions. Have you ever noticed we live in an opinionated world? And everybody can blog. Everybody can tell the world what they think whenever they want to. And some of that's awesome and some maybe not so much. But there's something that Jesus wants to do. And we're living in a time, I, I was wrestling with a couple things and I talked to Jason yesterday uh, we had exchanged some emails and because uh, I want to I want to leave a deposit. I don't want to just come and yak at you. And, and uh, but I've been carrying several things. A, a message called "If My People" that really challenges us to look at what the Scripture says, why why our land is the way that it is, and what we can do about it. Another one I just spoke to uh, the the Georgetown women in Washington D.C. two weeks ago on. I, I call it righteous judgment because we're getting confused. Did you know the world's favorite verse this day is these days is Matthew seven one, "Judge not." Have you noticed that? And it paralyzes us as Christians. And unless we understand that, no, 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 we're supposed to be judging righteously. But what is that? what's the difference between that and judging and condemning somebody? There is a difference. But this morning, I, I want to talk to you about um, something that's been on my heart for many, many years. It's a big part of what I spend my time doing. And it's making disciple makers. Is this, um, do I need to put this up here? No, you have the power back there. All right. All right, so I want to talk to you about, because I, I want you to rediscover Jesus' original plan to change the world. Not just the church, the world. And, you know, Jesus spent a lot of time teaching the multitudes, but he invested in 12 people. Had Jesus been around today, people would go, ah, it wasn't such a you know, big deal. He had a company of 12. Probably not even big enough to get a loan. And yet, because of the way he did things, the gospel of Jesus has survived several thousand years and is still here and thriving around the world. You have to realize the, the church is marching forward because there are people who are obeying, obeying Jesus. All right? So you may know this portion of Scripture. It's the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says this, Jesus came and said to them, this is, you know, at the very end, last portion of Matthew here, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Can I just tell you, that's a lot. That's a lot of authority, all right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. So here's this command to make disciples, and on the front end is all this authority, and on the back end is I'm with you always. And when people commit their lives to making disciple makers, I watch great authority being poured through their lives and I watch how closely they walk with God. He's with them. And there's this promise. This is the promise of God. Now, let me, you, you don't know me very well. I'm 55, live in Franklin, Tennessee. My first seven years out of high school as a missionary with Youth of the Mission. 
my wife was a missionary as well. We met, she served in Thailand and different places, and we got married. We have a couple of children, Ryan, who will be 31 this month. He's married to Kendall, who's a trauma care nurse at Vanderbilt Hospital, and they just gave us our first grandson. So I became papa of seven months ago, and so I'm done. You know, it's just like, that's awesome. And... Um, and then I have a daughter, Malia, and Malia is, is, helps people with skin care. She likes doing that. And my wife, Cheryl, is known as the Kona coffee artist. She paints with coffee. So I want you to think of watercolor, except she paints with coffee. And because we spent seven years in Kona, Hawaii, and that's a, one of the loves of our lives, she, she's known as the Kona coffee artist. And she won an art contest, and she's in a gallery there in Hawaii, and that's what Cheryl does. So it's fun for me to cheer her on and, and help her. And... In, in my own journey as a 20-year-old, as a I had the privilege of traveling with a man by the name of Lauren Cunningham, who's the founder of an organization called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. Any of you ever heard of it? No. Okay. So Lauren is the founder. He asked if I would travel with him and just kind of be there to help. And, you know, when you travel with someone like that, you have an opportunity to really learn. Well, one day we were on a flight from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C., and about 40,000 feet in the air, Lauren says this to me. He says, so Dave, what do you think your gifts are? Now, I'm 20. If anyone in this room is around that age, you know you're trying to figure it out, right? And so was I. And I told him that. But he made a statement to me that marked my life. Have you ever had someone say something to you and it just, it's there. It gets tucked in there. He said something that made a mark. And this is what he said to me. He said, it doesn't matter how big the organizations are that you will lead or the size of the groups that you will teach. The way that God will measure the fruitfulness of your life is have you invested to the third and fourth generation. And then he quoted to me 2 Timothy 2.2, which we'll look at in a few minutes, about Paul passing things on to Timothy, who then passes them on to faithful others, and then they pass them on to others as well. Four generations. Do you have a spiritual line four generations deep? I want to ask you that. Do you have somebody you've so poured the things of God into that they're lit up and they're not quoting Dave all the time, but instead they're just passing the things of God onto that third person who then is passing it on to a fourth? That's when it gets fun and that's when it gets interesting. But can I just shoot straight with you and tell you 80% of followers of Jesus I know don't even have one generation they've passed it on to because we've become comfortable being disciples, not making disciples. And it's a, it's a game-changing deal. And we've got to realize that's what God is after. I want you to understand, the heart of Jesus is not reproducing single disciples, but rather launching a making disciple-makers movement. Do, do you understand the reality is, is Jesus, when, when he commissioned the 12 disciples, what did he say? Go, therefore, and start churches. He didn't say that. Go, therefore, and have the most awesome worship experience you could ever have. He didn't say that. He said, go make disciples. He basically was saying, guys, you know what I've done for you the last three years? Just go do that and watch what happens. And that's what we get in the book of Acts. Now, now let me say something to you. The book of Acts is not the book of, of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the book of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit on discipled people. Big difference. Do we need the Holy Spirit? We can't do anything without him. But if you don't do the math right, you just think all we need is just, we just need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I poured the Holy Spirit on people I invested in for three years and then bada bing, the book of Acts. And we forget that part. 
And somehow, some way, along the lines in our journey over the years, we've lost the norm of what was in the scriptures of making disciple makers. I, I, I get frustrated when I hear young leaders, passionate, I mean, people you want to invest in, young men and young women, lit up for Jesus, wanting to grow, and they go to a spiritual leader and say, will you disciple me? And they say, I'm not called to that. And I want to go, what Bible are you reading? But it happens all the time. I was at a luncheon with leaders at a prayer breakfast in D.C., and they were young adults, and they asked me, they said, Dave, why is it that we have all our peers through Facebook and Twitter and all kinds of stuff, texting, that we get all kinds of advice from, but it's not eternal advice. And when we go to older leaders and ask them to invest in us, they just tell us they either don't have time, they're not called to it, they're not interested. And I about wanted to cry right there. And he said, please forgive us. Do you understand the future of the church? The future of the church depends on our obedience to the Great Commission. And by the way, it's not called the Great Suggestion. Okay? Nor is it called the Great Recommendation. It's called the Great Commission. So I want you to understand in the disciples' minds... When Jesus commissioned them, they weren't thinking about anything else except when, boom, they're in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, they're filled with the Spirit. All they're thinking about is how do we make more disciples? And someone giving their life to Jesus is the first step. Look what happened in Acts. It is a remarkable thing. Disciple making was a central part of New Testament life and God's primary way of advancing his kingdom. Look at the fruit in Acts. Like, who wouldn't want to be a part of this church? Or pastoring a church like this? A praying and empowered church. I mean, imagine pastoring or being a part of a church where people actually want to pray. It's the priority and not the last resort. Dangerous church. How about a united, one heart, one mind church where they're not arguing over little petty stuff? Do you see how the enemy's gotten in to steal, kill, destroy? He knows a humble, united church is a church that cannot be defeated. So he gets us proud and divided. You with me? A church that operated out of God's ways by following the scriptures and the lead of the Holy Spirit. A maturing and obedient church. A missional and culture-impacting church. An enduring church that feared God above all else. A church that was committed to the glory of God. Wow. This is a result of people being discipled by Jesus who did the same for others. Check this out. The primary mission of this might wreck you. All right, so be ready. The primary mission of Jesus' disciples in Acts was not winning converts, planting churches, or changing culture. That's all I hear today. Rather, in obedience to Jesus, they reproduced disciple-makers wherever they went. And the byproduct was many people won to Jesus, churches planted, and culture changed. Wow. It's, like it's, just supposed, it's, it's like tend the tree, and the fruit on the tree will be many converts, churches planted, and culture changed. Instead, we make the fruit the goal. Wow. And that's why we get frustrated. And that's why we're bumping our heads. I mean, I love church planting. I've done it. But the reality is, if we're not planting a church for the purpose of making disciple-makers, it's going to be what our baseball announcers would say, now that's a swing and a miss, all right? And that's what happens. And we've got to get back to this. I have no way to prove this, and I acknowledge that. 
But I have a very real conviction that the reason God has not poured out his spirit upon us as a land is because he refuses to see a bunch of people come to know Jesus and all they go to is potlucks. He is looking for churches that are serious about reproducing disciple makers. And those will be the churches he's going to put people in. Because the times demand it. It is not an option. Who's discipled you? Who's poured in the things of God in you? Are you humble enough to say, dude, I don't know that I've ever had that. And to find a spiritual leader that's further along than you, that's willing to say, hey, would you pour into me? Pour into me. And again, how many of us, there's no condemnation, we're just challenging it here a bit, but how many of us, you could walk somebody into the, into the room who, who you've poured into? Let me illustrate this to you before we, we go on. There was a professor at a university. It was his uh, first, first year teaching there, and everybody was kind of curious who this guy was and what his class was going to be like, so he had a really good sign-up for it. So first day of class rolls around. Everybody's you know, kind of mulling around in the class, talking a little bit, catching up from the summer, and in comes the professor, and he just kindly says, hey, why don't you guys find your seat? Everybody kind of positions himself. And as they do, he begins to go over the topic that he's going to be talking about. And he begins to tell them how he will uh, be grading them. And he says, hey, just so you guys know, there's no pop quizzes. You know, there are no, you know, surprise tests. There's not a midterm. They're just going, cruise, you know. And he says, there's two things I'm asking of you. One is that you need to be here Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we have our class. And then I'm going to ask you um, to be prepared for a final. Read the stuff I give you. Be here in class. Going to give you a final. And then he says, oh, and there's one other thing I'm going to ask you to do. Find one person during this semester that you can sit down maybe once a week and tell them what you've learned. And then dramatically, he just stops the class. Like they've only been in class like 20 minutes. And he says, you're dismissed. And everybody's walking out going, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is going to be crude. This is going to be easy. So during that semester, the guy just pours into them. I mean, he makes sure they're getting it, not just here, but it's translating deep inside. They're getting it, and he takes time for questions. When people need a little one-on-one, -on -one, he's happy to do it. Well, fast forward with me to the last week, last full week of the semester before the final exam week, and he reviews everything. I mean, for a second time, he just goes through, so he answers every question. It's like he's done his very best. Well, the Monday of the exam week comes. The exam's on Wednesday, and Monday comes, and he says, all right, I know I have done everything I possibly can to make sure that this content of this class has gotten into you and that you understand it. You, I've answered your questions. Now he said, now here's one thing I want to say before I dismiss you. He said, remember I told you on the first day of class, I want you to take one person and share with them. He said, make sure they're free on Wednesday because they're going to come in and they're going to take your exam and their grade is your final grade. <laughs> Question. We know there's no such a thing as this, but if there was a disciple-making exam and you had to bring in somebody that you've so poured the things of Jesus into and they were to take that exam, how would they do? How would they do? Because 80% or more of followers of Jesus have never invested in one life. 
They've never passed on the things of God deliberately. Like, here's God's character. Here's what it means to worship. Here's what it means to be in the word. Here's what it means to hear God's voice when you're seeking direction. Here's what it means to repent when you've screwed up a relationship. Here's what restitution means, where you go back and make something right. Because do you know it says in the book of Acts 24, Paul said he takes great pains to make sure that his conscience is clear before God and man. If, if you've never been discipled how to go back and make something right that you've wronged, you don't know. And guess what? It sits and lingers and festers. And bitterness and resentment grow. And unforgiveness becomes the dominant force in our life. And often it's because nobody came alongside and said, let me show you how to walk this way in the ways of Jesus. Are you with me? This was a New Testament way of life. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. And here's this dynamic of this father-motherly thing of passing on the things of God. 2 Timothy 2, to you then, my child, he's talking to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me, Paul, first generation, Timothy, second, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man, third generation, who will be able to teach others also. God is asking us to disciple four generations deep. Can I tell you one of the greatest joys of my life is when I have the opportunity to be with some folks where I have poured into that person. I have pictures now. It's one of the fun joys for me where here's Heather, who's a discipleship pastor at a church in D.C., and Heather has passed on to Emily, who is a University of Tennessee recruit, basketball player, point guard for Pat Summit, blows out her, her knee. She can't play, but now she is a huge disciple maker. And so she's poured into others. So Emily came to me when we first met, and she just said, it's really nice to meet my Paul. And I said, I said say that again? I thought I knew where she was going, but I was wrong. She said, well, Heather's been your Timothy. I've been her faithful one, so that makes you my Paul. She got it. And she turned 27 today. I've already texted her and said, happy birthday. I said, may you make more disciple makers, not disciples. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I'm done making disciples. It's disciple makers. Have you discipled so one? You're not done discipling until you see they can pass it on to someone else. That's the deal. Oh, we can't be lazy anymore, precious people of God. We can't be lazy. Mark and I were talking on the way over he picked me up graciously today. Here's our, here's our problem. What we do, like let's just, say, let's just say I have 15 different things up here, all right? What we do is we have our life, and then what we try to do is squeeze my quiet time in over here. I can't find time. I'm too busy. Can't you see my world, Dave? Look, I got stuff all over the place. I can't. The Bible says seek first the kingdom. The way it starts is this is my time with the Lord every day, and I will build the rest of my life around it. When you do that, everything comes in order. Everything comes in order. But if we're not seeking first the kingdom, what we're doing is just trying, well, I'll just slide it in here. Oh, you know what? I didn't have time today. And that time today, have you ever known the enemy's really good at robbing us of time? And before you know it, you have a habit pattern. And when someone says, hey, when's the last time you had time with the Lord? Well, I was at church. Can I just tell you, as awesome as the word is at this church, you can't live on one meal a week. What would you say to somebody if they just said, oh, man, it's an awesome buffet on Sundays, but you eat one out of 21 meals. You ain't going to live too long. And if you do, you're going to be really thin. Spiritually thin. Well, let me show you something. The current condition of our land right now. Because of the lack of obeying this command, we have a spiritually thin church in the body of Christ. 
People don't know the scriptures. They don't know how to obey Jesus. And all we want is God bless me. Just God bless me. And we've taken the entitlement culture of our nation and brought it into the church where it's all about me. And it's not. It is all about Jesus. And it's about his glory. Secondly, there's a loss of shaping societal leaders in the ways of God. You guys, we get all upset. Well, I can't believe the media, the education system screwed up, the government's... Do you understand? Until we point the finger back at us and say, God, we repent for not passing on the ways of God to the people you put in our lives. We ain't going anywhere. We need godly leaders in places of position. We also need to realize the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, that's you and me, humble themselves, pray, turn from the wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven and heal the land. He's waiting for his church. He's not waiting for who gets in the White House. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have godly people there. We need to. But because we haven't shaped societal leaders in the ways of God, people in the media are just leading in the way they've been discipled to lead. They don't reference God's ways. Put that in your segment of society. The way you change society is you change the leaders. We'll get to that in a minute. Also, we have a very limited number of active disciple makers right now. I can't tell you how many young people just bothers me and ticks me off. How many young people? Awesome. Like I, the, One of the phrases I say a lot to 20 and 30-somethings is you're so worth investing in. Amen. You are so worth investing in. But because people haven't invested in them, they're ha- trying to hang on to whatever they got in front of them. And then we get upset with them. What's the matter with them? Well, what's the matter is we haven't obeyed the command of Jesus to invest the things of God in their lives. Can I just say this? It's not an option. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not like, well, I can just show up at Faith Dome and just receive and bless the Lord and move. It's not, that's not what this is about. It's about coming here and getting equipped and encountering God in a fresh way so you can leave these doors and go do some serious damage. Imagine if every follower of Jesus you knew had the opportunity to be discipled in these things. Imagine if every, every follower of Jesus had an opportunity to really get to know the character. Just like that song, which was awesome that we sang, it was all about the character of God. But most people don't know. Listen to me. The image of God you carry around in your heart and mind affects the way you live your life. Let me say that again. The image. We're used to posting images on Facebook. We know it's not the real thing. It's just an image. But what the enemy does is try to create this image of God, and it's not even close to being biblical. And it stumbles us through all of life. What if every person had those things rooted out and said, oh my gosh, this is who God is. Change the way we live. What if every follower of Jesus understood what it meant to be a disciple? To walk in humility, to walk in love, to fear God above all, to be a servant like none other. What if? What if everybody understood the grace of God that you have a Father in heaven that loves you and adores you and His grace continues to reach out to us even when we fail? How about the cross? 
What if people really understood the cross, sin and its depths, and repentance and forgiveness? What if everybody knew how to forgive their dad and mom? What if everybody knew how to forgive that person that didn't treat them well yesterday? What if everybody learned how to hear God's voice? What if everybody knew? Okay, Jesus, here's the deal. What are you saying? You, know, you learn how to wait on God, and you learn how to discern when he's leading you. What if? What if everybody learned how to be in the word, how to pray, how to worship, how to give? What if? What if everybody knew how to walk in godly relationships? What it means as a husband to lay my life down for my wife? What if everybody understood that humility and honoring one another wins the day? What if everybody understood how to walk under authority? And when the authority is wrong, how to properly appeal to them? What if everybody learned this little thing called spiritual warfare? That when stuff happens in life, you can recognize that's the enemy. Because the enemy does his best to distort the character of God. He does his best to distract you, to discourage you, to deceive you, and just to stay consistent with these, to divide you. What if? What if you knew how? Hey, when that thing comes, you know how to take the sword, and you know how to cut that thing off. What if? What if every follower of Jesus knew this stuff? Do you understand how dangerous we would be? What about the church? They understood the role of the church, the role of the Holy Spirit within the church. What if they understood how to advance the kingdom by sharing their faith and by going overseas into the nations as a missionary? What if they just understood? And so missionaries never worry about financial support because it's like, hey, I can't go with you to Iran, but you're going there. Hey, you got my hundred bucks a month. I can't go. You can. I'm with you. And when you go to work, it's not, oh, geez, i got to write a $100 check to the missionary. But rather, you're going to work saying, I'm supporting the kingdom advancing in Iran. What if? What if people cared about the needs? What if everybody learned their gifts? Here's how God's gifted you. Guess what? You can find a role to serve in such a way that the kingdom advances and you feel like, I was born for this. And what if everybody knew how to make disciple makers? Can I just say something to you with great humility? This is supposed to be normal. This is not supposed to be optional or for the really spiritual. The norm is that everybody walks in these things. But if we don't have a deliberate game plan to do it, it's a swing and a miss. The thing I'm excited about when I saw your website is you guys are wanting to be a disciple-making church. So these are the kinds of things we got to say, okay, I'm, I'm stepping up. This, this isn't like, don't, don't get in your mind, well, this is what we pay him to do. Now that's really a big swing and a miss, Bob, all right? That, that's not what, it doesn't say this is for pastors. You know, Jesus didn't say, go into all the world, oh, by the way, this is for pastors. No, this is for every follower of Jesus. He's supposed to be equipping you so you know how to do these things and can be released to do it. It's not for him to do it all. And the pastor said, Amen. all right, so <laughs> now let me get real practical with you. I want to get practical for a few minutes, and I want to expand your thinking for a few minutes before I wrap up, all right? So I had a pastor in, in my city come to me. We'd known, each, known of each other for about 15 years, but um, he just said, hey, can I take you to lunch? Well, 
that's always the will of God, right? And so I didn't need to pray about that. So, so we go have lunch, and he's a great public communicator. And anyway, we hit it off in a minute or two. I knew this was going to be a good friendship, and it's grown into that in the last about 15, 16 months now. But here's what he said to me. He said, Dave, our church knows the word. We really know the word. He said, we could highlight Hebrews for you, go over Romans with you right now. But then he kind of dipped his glasses and leaned forward across the table. But he said, my people aren't being transformed. Can, can I just say something? To you? Do you know the devil knows the Bible really well and he's not transformed? Knowing the Bible doesn't transform you. You're going to see what does here in a minute. Is the Bible a big part? Well, of course it is. It's the word of God. But how many people I know really know the word, but their life doesn't reflect the word? They know it, but they don't know it. Okay, so he just said to me, Dave, how do you, when you disciple people, how do you see them actually transform? Like, here's Joey now. Here's Joey six months to a year from now. And the guy loves God. He's passionate. He's praying like a madman. He's serving people. How do you? So I said, can I show you? Now, I didn't have a pen to write on the beautiful wood table, but I do with my finger. I drew this diagram. So this is what I started with. And then I put this in here. I said, okay, let's, let's begin with the end in mind. Transformation. You're saying, how do you transform how does someone get transformed? So let, let me tell you about this. Transformation is only something God can do. It, it, it's a, have you guys ever had an icebreaker? Like, you know, do you do, you do um, icebreakers for your small group sometimes? You, know, you ask the question, what was the you know, most embarrassing moment? You know, whatever. Well, have you ever had the question, like, if you could have one superpower, you know, what would it be? And some people, oh, I'd like to fly like Superman. I'd like to be like Spidey and go, you know, whatever it is. You know what mine is? I would love to have a superpower that I could go into someone's heart for three minutes and make about three or four big decisions for them. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to relate to people like Jesus would relate to people. I'm going to discover the gifts and call, and I'm going to glorify God. And then you pull out. Wouldn't that be awesome? And, th and those three decisions are made. I mean, that's the way to disciple the nations. But it doesn't work that way, does it? God is the only one. So, so take some of you, this, this might be what you needed to hear today. Take the pressure off. You cannot change anybody. And we all said? Yeah. <laughs> Why do we know this? Because we've all tried. <laughs> or people have practiced on you, all right? So, so, but let me tell you how awesome transformation, God's power is. So I don't know the last time you had an apple, but the next time you do, just look at you know, how small an apple seed is. Do you know that it represents the power of God's transformation? Because in the DNA of that apple seed, is not only another apple, it's a tree. And not only is it a tree, but it's apples. And not only is it apples, it's orchards. Thousands and thousands of apple orchards out of one seed. That's the power of God's transformation. So God can transform. We can't, all right? Then I, I, I put this next one up, and I, I put the word revelation. Don't think of the book of the Bible. But here's what I want you to think about. Revelation in the New Testament means the parting of curtains. So, so think, think, think about this. You're at a junior high play. It's, it's your niece, nephew. It's your grandchildren. It's your son. And you're at this junior high play. And while you're at this junior high play, someone flicks the lights. You know it means time to shut up and sit down, right? And so you go and you sit down. And 30 seconds before that curtain opens, 
15 seconds, five seconds, one second, you have no idea what's up there. But when it opens, it's like, oh my gosh, it's the Mayflower, it's a space shuttle, it's a Hawaiian town, it's a Western scene. I mean, it's all kinds of stuff. And, and that's revelation. When Jesus shows you something, you go, oh, I've never seen that. That's revelation. And revelation is something only God can give you. I can't, I can't make it happen. I can't say, God, I, I can't make it happen. I can position myself for it. I can be in the word. I can be waiting on God in prayer. I can be in worship. I can be positioning myself to say, Jesus, I want to encounter you. And God parts the curtains. You might have a big decision to make. Do you just go eeny, meeny, miny, moe? Do you go, okay, I'm just going to throw a dart and see which one? Or do you actually seek God? God, am I supposed to buy this house? Because can I just tell you, when you buy a house and you haven't sought God, sometimes it's problems. What about what school should I go to? I'm, I'm praying about colleges. Do I, do I change my career? Do you know that God wants to say stuff to you about that? You're his child. You relinquished your rights for your own opinions when you gave your life to Jesus. You're now his ambassador, which means you represent him. All right? So, revelation. Think, think of this portion of scripture. Remember when Jesus is with the guys and he says, hey, who do people say that I am? Remember that story? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back. Some say Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. He says, who do you say that I am? And who pipes up? Peter. And what's he say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now listen to Jesus' response. Listen. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God is the only one that can bring revelation, which means that's why I desperately need to be on my knees in prayer. That's why I desperately need to be in the scriptures because I need God to show me what am I to say, what am I to do, where am I to go. Do you understand? Nowhere in scripture, at least I haven't been able to find, and I'm open to being corrected, but there's nowhere in scripture where we, are, we do stuff for God and ask him to bless it. It's not there one time. And yet all the time, I'm going to start a job for the glory of God. Hey, if God didn't initiate it, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> It's not there. It's always God says, Joshua, walk around the walls. God initiates, we follow. Noah, build an ark. So, so let me say this phrase to you. It's one that guards my heart every day of my life. What God initiates, he permeates. What I initiate, I have to sustain. No wonder we're worn out. We are running around asking God to bless stuff we initiated, and it doesn't. There's a it's like penalty flag. It doesn't work that way. Can, can I just tell you, in the fear of the Lord in church life, I've been with a pastor that we've walked this through. And he just said, we're going to go over every area of our church, and if we cannot point to a time where we know God spoke to us to do it, and we were in agreement, we're done with that. Because we're spending time and money and pointing people to do things God never initiated. Wow. That'll give you a little reflection for the rest of the day for your own heart. Like, like how much stuff are you doing that you never asked the Lord about? And you're wondering why you're, you're exhausted. Because nowhere in Scripture it says, do what you want and ask God to bless it. It's not there. We are called followers, not just in name, because that's what we actually do. Let me give you this last piece. God does that. God does this. This is what you and I do. When God reveals something, it's not meant to be negotiated. It's meant to be obeyed. Amen. But we negotiate all the time. Well, when I get to it, uh-uh. 
So whether he shows you something in Scripture, the Word's coming here, and you're convicted of something, or in the midst of worship, the Lord shows... Hey, it's obeying. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, teach them to obey. Not obeying people, obeying Jesus. What is Jesus saying? Got really quiet in here. Okay, let me, let me show you some big stuff here, and then I'm going to wrap up. So, get, so that's some, like, like, guys, you can do that. You can go home, and so like, let's say tomorrow morning you're having your quiet time, and you're reading, and you run across this passage about forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit shows you, you know, you've you got to deal with that with your dad. Okay, well, he just went like this, and he revealed something to you. That's the time you steward it, and you say, okay, God, would you show me my next step of obedience? Don't, don't, don't shove it down. Don't, sh- don't flip it away. God, what are you asking of me? God's wanting to teach us how to obey. That's how it works. And can I just tell you a secret? If you don't obey, guess what doesn't happen? And for some of you, that's what you needed to hear because you say, I want to be transformed. I don't want to be like this. I want. You got to obey what Jesus is showing you to do. Otherwise, the transformation just doesn't come. Isn't that good news? Now you know what to do. All right? So wrapping up, how do you change a nation? By transforming its domains of society. How do you transform the domains of society? By shaping leaders and people serving within them. How do you shape leaders and people? By deliberately discipling them around God's character, God's ways, and his mission. This is something I call the dozen domains of society. Disciple making is not just meant to be in the church, but in these areas of society. Look, look and find, where are you in here? Are you a student? Are you in business? Are you in science and technology? But the only ways that you transform culture is by making disciples. Like my brother Tom, who follows Jesus, is in the media. He works for the Christian Broadcasting. This week he's flying to Seattle where he's going to interview Russell Wilson, the, the quarterback of the Seahawks. He was just with uh, a, a significant baseball player recently who has issues. And because he's got relationship with him, he's asked, this, asked Tom to come and spend some time with him after the season to help basically minister to him. If you're serving Jesus, he can take you to places that are unbelievable. There's a gal that I've worked with for a decade now, and she she's a, a, has become a disciple maker, a gal by the name of Mandisa. Do you know that name at all? So I've been her pastor for many years. And she is becoming a disciple maker, and she realizes the way I can change arts and entertainment is by discipling artists to walk in the ways of God. I'd say that's a pretty good thing. Where are you? All right? So let me just show you how real this is. If you start with 50 people, like let's just say Pastor Jason just says to you, hey, are 50 of you willing to commit to disciple just two people this year? Just two. We can show you how to do it. And you say, I'm in. So by the end of one year, you've got two people you've poured into. Let's say 50 of you stood up today and said, I'm all in on that. Let me show you what happens. At the end of year one, You've got the initial 50 plus your two. You've got 150 people now ready to say, okay, now we can make disciple make. You just grew by three times. Well, let's say then those 150 make the same commitment. Then the next you got, you go, big deal. Do you know Oviedo is right here? Do you know that you can flip Oviedo upside down in one, two, three, four, five, six years? Like, guys, this isn't Fantasy Island. I, I get tired of being with leaders who are dreaming. Let's change the world. No, let's just go back to what Jesus said. Like, check this out. 
Within 18 years, you know, there's going to be 8 billion, they think, in 30, 2030. We're going to have, in 18 years, you can have 19 billion people, which is way more than there are on the planet, as disciple makers. Like if we all just said, okay, 18 years from now, so add 18 years to your age. Now some of you are going, yeah, I'm going to be in heaven then. All right, well, anyway, all right. But add 18 years to your age, if you're 40 years old, you could say, by the time I'm 58, what you're saying to me is if I'm diligent and we as the body of Christ make disciples, we can literally change the world. And I'm saying that's exactly right. Is there a better plan? There's not. It's Jesus' plan. And yet we dink around doing so many other things and we never get to see the world changed. If we just obey what he asks us to do in the great commission, not the great suggestion, the world can be flipped upside down. You with me? So where do we go from here? Get discipled around the character, ways, and mission of Jesus. If you've never been discipled, find someone further along than you and say, would you pour the things of Jesus in me and start practicing the process of transformation. When God reveals something, become the first person to obey, obey, obey Jesus. See, we've not, Jesus had teach them to obey. Many people have never learned how to obey Jesus. It's just, he's the great advisor in the sky. But it's obeying what he asks me to do. Secondly, become an effective disciple maker in your sphere of relationships and or, and or your domain of society. How can you, who, who is God calling you? He, he talked about the phrase he heard from me, in whose ears are your words big? In whose ears are your words big? Well, I don't even like them. Well, that's not the issue. God's giving you favor in their ears. Draw them alongside. Pour in the things of God to the point that they can do the same for others. Your church, become a transformational disciple-making hug. There's a, there's a church I work with in Pittsburgh who's grown substantially, and they have four or five campuses. And you know what their heart is? They want to see a disciple-making hub in every domain of society. So they've got some Pittsburgh Steelers and Pittsburgh Penguin athletes. They want to start a sports discipleship group. So they're discipling the sports leaders of their city. They want to start a government and media and education, et cetera, group where those people who are hungry for Jesus can be discipled in God's ways. You know why? Because then when they make decisions, they're being informed by the things of God. That'll change your world. And... Your pastor will tell you more about this in the day ahead, but at the end of July, first part of August, we're going to do a one-day training event. I'm going to come back, and we're going to teach people how do you actually become a disciple maker. Here's a tool. Here's how you can use this. You, literally, by the time you're done that day, you could go the next week, find two or three people that your words are big in their ears that you prayed about, and you can start pouring into them. So he'll keep, he'll keep you informed. It's just down the street here. But guys, gals, it's time. It's time. You know where I feel in this just on a personal level? I got a grandson. What's the world going to look like when he gets his driver's license? What's the world going to look like, hopefully by the grace of Jesus, when I'm there, when he walks down the aisle with his new bride? Hopefully I can be around when, hey, Papa, here's your first great-grandchild. What's that world going to look like? If you need to personalize it, I want to challenge you to personalize it. Because unless we out-multiply things in the ways of God, we're in trouble. And I just fear that we're going to be sitting on our butts, and in 2030, everybody's going to wake up and look around and go, how did we get here? And we got here because the church did not obey the command of Jesus to pour the things of God into his people and ask them to do the same for others. Would you stand with me?
Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to hang with you today. Jesus, we just come before you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. And Lord, I know we're talking about important stuff today, kingdom stuff. And I know, Lord, for some of us, we just are already going, geez, Louise, where am I going to have time to do this? And we're, we're already taking on a burden. And I want to say to you, don't take on any burden. Just allow the Lord to show you how he wants this to be a part of your life. And if you align things to loving God and discipling others, it's amazing what, what can happen. So, Jesus, I pray for grace, not only on these precious individuals, but on their families and over this faith dome flock that, Lord, you would allow them to rally around the truth of Jesus. Truth that requires a response. Lord, don't let us walk out of here today and just, oh, that was nice. That was insightful. Didn't like it. But instead, we'd walk out and say, Jesus, what are you wanting me to obey? You revealed something to my heart today. I, I saw something I've not seen before. How do you want me to respond to you in obedience? If you're willing today to say, hey, Dave, I just want you to know I heard. And I'm going to ask the Lord where he has me in his game plan on this front of making disciples. Just put your hand up today. Don't do it just to be nice to the speaker. Just do it if you really heard something today. All right. So Jesus, you can put your hands down. For those that raise their hands, I would ask that you give them the courage and that you'd give them the equipping to obey you, to pour in, Lord, the things that they've learned of you and to others so much so that they are well-equipped to do the same. Jesus, I'm just crying out to you, and I ask, Lord, for all of us that you would shake us, that you would awaken us, but Lord, thank you that we can literally make a difference. That in our lifetime, we could see nations transform. Instead of sitting here and realizing that Iran is this Muslim nation, why can't it be 20 years from now, it's the largest Christian nation in the world? You can do those kinds of things, and you let us go along for the ride. So Jesus, teach us to be faithful with what's in front of us. Lord, I just pray your blessing on this flock. Just ask God that you would teach them your ways, that they indeed would become a disciple-making church. In Jesus' name.